This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 5th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. What drives entrepreneurs, according to Whole Foods founder and CEO John Mackey, isn't the mere pursuit of profits, it's the feeding of a passion. That understanding is one of the elements of what he calls conscious capitalism. We spoke about the idea and the book by the same name yesterday. Milton Friedman's view is that the purpose of business is to maximize profits and shareholder value. And I don't think that's the purpose of business. I don't think most entrepreneurs who create their businesses do so for that reason. It's not that they don't want to make money. They do. But that's not their purpose. They usually are fulfilling some type of dream, some type of passion they have, something they want to do in the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're just there trying to maximize profits. I mean, Milton Friedman was an economist, so he wasn't an entrepreneur. And so business people that actually create things think about it differently than an economist does. I think that businesses unnecessarily has a bad reputation in the world with a Gallup, most recent poll showing a 19% approval rate for big business in America. It's only two points better than Congress. Uh, That means 81% don't approve of big business. And I think it's partly because the enemies of capitalism have captured the narrative that business is all about the the bottom line. It's all, it's selfish, it's greedy, and it's exploitative. And business has done a terrible job of defending itself. And yet business is the greatest value creator in the world. It creates value for everyone that exchanges with it. It's not a a win-lose game where some benefit and gain profits and others lose. No, the customers who trade with the business, they, they, um, they benefit. And the employees who work for a business, they benefit. The, all the suppliers who trade with the biz- a business are also benefiting. So do the investors as the business is successful and the communities the business is part of. So that's the reality of business. And that's what we ought to say. If we want to win the arguments with the enemies of capitalism, if we want to persuade uh, the average person in the society that business is fundamentally good, then we're going to have to change our arguments. We're going to have to start talking about the value that we create and how we help make the world a better place and not strictly that it's just all about money. Uh, An analogy I like to use is that my body cannot exist unless it produces red blood cells. No red blood cells, I'm a dead man. But the purpose of my life is not to produce red blood cells. Similarly, business cannot exist unless it makes profit. And that's certainly one of its purposes. But it's not its most important purpose. Its most important purpose is value creation for these interdependent stakeholders, including the investors, but not exclusively the investors. I spoke with the editor of Regulation Magazine, Peter Van Doren, uh, recently about uh, this article that appeared in the New York Times about six months ago about organic food. Mm -hmm. And uh, there exists, I think, a sort of a tension between uh, the ability to scale up an enterprise and the ability to uh, create what foodies might consider to be a very high quality and the uh, creation of a federal board dealing with uh, with organic food uh, would seem to go against a lot of what what you advocate. What what do you say about that? Well, not necessarily. Uh, if you think about what the legitimate role of government should be in society, few except for anarcho-capitalists or pure anarchists believe that government has no role to play at all, and so we end up 
for those who don't who think government has some role to play, then the discussion is what exactly is that role and how do we limit it to its proper sphere? Uh, it strikes me that one of the legitimate roles of government is to help define the rules of a society and to prevent fraud. In the case of organic, there was a, quite a bit of fraud uh, in the early days of organic. Anybody could make claims about it, and who was to say it wasn't? And so you can still see this sometimes at farmers markets when a person will say, well, I'm not certified organic, but I raise it as if it's organic. Who's to say if they're telling the truth or not? So the advantage of some type of certification system is that you have an authentic, uh, credible system that everybody can have trust in. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be done by the government. Uh, you, you, you have uh, rating agencies like uh, S&P and Moody's that rate uh, the creditworthiness of various uh, bonds and other institutions, and certainly that could have happened with organic. And I, I can argue as a, as a as a person who believes in free markets, I wish it had gone that way. It didn't go that way. It went towards more government uh, definitions. But on balance, that's been a good thing because people can purchase with more assurance that this is authentic and not uh, just someone making claims that are not substantiated. Do you think that that has an effect on the overall quality of organic products in the United States? Yeah, I think we have less, we have less fraud and we have a consistent standard of uh, what organic means, and I think that helps inspire confidence that that people are getting the the genuine article. You lay out in your book uh, a range of stakeholders that I assume you'll talk about at at the event uh, as well. And I think for libertarians, it's hard to see how anyone who is not explicitly involved in the exchanges uh, of a company. Uh, can be construed as a stakeholder. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, of course, in the book, we outline what we what we call the major stakeholders or the inner circle of stakeholders. And all of those stakeholders are involved with voluntary exchange with the organization. Customers voluntarily exchange, employees do, suppliers do, investors do, and arguably communities do as well, in, in, at least in certain sense. Uh, then we have an outer circle of stakeholders not involved in, in voluntary exchange we consider them stakeholders because they impact the business. And since they can impact the business, you need to take them into account. You may not have the same kind of responsibilities or duties to them since you're not voluntarily exchanging, but you ignore them at your own peril. It's better to think of them as stakeholders and ask how they can help your enterprise get better. And we list some of those stakeholders being like the government or activists or critics, the media, in some instances, labor unions. Uh, and uh, so all, all of those fall into people that can impact the business. And so you, you need, because they can impact it, you need to take them into account. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to create value for them, like you should create value for the stakeholders that you're exchanging with. But it means that you better pay attention to them because for better or for worse, they have an impact on the organization. What companies exemplify this uh, type of, I guess, ethic? Well, one thing to make clear is that there's no such thing as the perfect company. And every company is on a continuum here. And Whole Foods market is far from perfect. And of course, one of the risks you take when you start identifying more conscious companies is people just love to point out their flaws. Uh, I oftentimes say business is judged by its, its worst 
actors, unlike almost any other area in our company. We don't we don't judge doctors by their worst actors or or even politicians by their worst actors. But business, for some reason, is expected to be perfect or somehow or another it's fundamentally not good. So some of the ones we've identified in, in, the, biz, in the book that we think are, are on further along the consciousness continue, you might say, uh, besides Whole Foods, are, uh, are Google, um, Nordstrom's, Patagonia, Panera Bread, uh, Container Store, uh, Costco, Amazon.com, uh, uh, and a couple of foreign uh, large companies, uh, POSCO in South Korea, Tata Group in India. Uh, so that's a, good, that's a good number right there. You talked about the media and uh, the opponents of capitalism essentially having hijacked the narrative of, yes. of, of what business represents. But is, is, do you think part of it is just that what the entrepreneur does, what his role in society is, is, is largely opaque or hard to define? No. I think the intellectuals have always hated business. Business has always been persecuted by the elites and by intellectuals. This is not new. Uh, if, you, if you study your history, you'll see that uh, the basic minorities in societies like the Jews in the West or the Chinese in the East have been routinely persecuted, envied, their property confiscated. Uh, it wasn't until we had capitalism and the Industrial Revolution and we set certain uh, uh, limits on what the state could do to interfere with private property that our society really began to, to make a strong upward, upward move towards greater prosperity. So I think the intellectuals have always hated business, as has the aristocracy. Uh, you, if you can see this when you study and you look in period pieces like in the, in the British period pieces when they had such a disdain for commerce, this is somehow that that's you know, your just common tradesman is held in almost in derision and contempt. So I think businesses always had a struggle. John Mackey is the CEO and founder of Whole Foods. We spoke before a forum for his new book, Conscious Capitalism. You can watch the forum at Cato.org.